In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood. Then came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Thank you for his word. Good morning, everybody. Like Paul said, um, we're going to start looking at the entire book of John. Now, we're not going to preach on every part of it. There's a f- about 20-something chapters in it, but we're going to look at little bits of it and try and get this big picture of Jesus. So um, as we start, I'll pray and then I'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can, um, yeah, Lord, be here this morning and, Lord, that we have your word, Lord, your, your message to us. And, Lord, I just ask that um, you'd help us to understand it clearly, Lord, that you'd help me to explain it clearly, but, Lord, that most of all, that you, um, by your spirit, Lord, would, would engage us and, Lord, that you'd capture our hearts and, Lord, that you'd grow us while, while we look at your word and, Lord, you'd convict us about things and, Lord, that you'd help us to, Lord, grow into who you want us to be and, Lord, to be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. At the beginning of this year, Tara and I moved into a, a new home um, and well, I, I got excited. I like moving. I've done it a few times. But the thing that was particularly exciting... And thank you if you've helped me on those few times. Um, the, the particularly exciting thing about this latest move is that 
Our new house, is, it's a great house, it's big, it's got all this stuff, but it's got a tank. It's in the new estate and they've got to have a tank. And I love tank water. I was absolutely excited when I found out that there was tank. And I remember as a kid when I'd go to my nana's house um, for holidays, you couldn't drink the town water there, but they had a tank that was plumbed in and I'd be drinking the tank water all the time. The the rain the rain water it just tastes fresh. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. If you've drunk tang water, it, with all its with all its frog pee and rusty metal in it, it tastes delicious. It was funny though. Yesterday I saw my nan and she had a drink bottle in a car, and I think her tank's a little bit old because that water didn't look very um, still better than their town water. And so when I saw this tank at our new house, I thought, yes, I can drink fresh rainwater. Um, but that was only sort of the truth. Because last weekend, something burst my bubble. All this time I'd been thinking, oh, this is beautiful, fresh, fresh um, tank water. And I was fully convinced that it was deliciously tasty and very different. But the whole time, I'd been fooled. See, what I thought was rainwater, was just town water. Because when I went and I looked closely at the tank and the pump and set up, it was, tan- it was town water all along. The tank wasn't actually working, or, or more to the point, the pump wasn't working. But I'd go and I'd fill my drink bottle and I'd take a big gulp of it and I'd go, oh, delicious rainwater. <laughs> but what I'd believed about the water was all wrong. And when I got in and looked closely at the pump... I understood that I was wrong. See, it wasn't until I'd gone up close to it and had a good look at it that I'd figured it out. I'd chosen to believe something based on what I thought without taking a close look. I I fixed it. The other day I flushed the toilet because that's plumbed into it and I heard the pump go off or Tara heard the pump go off and it was very exciting but I haven't had a drink yet. But the point is, is that when I had a close look at it, when I had a close look at it, I could see that what I'd believed about it wasn't right. Now today I said we're beginning this sermon series series on John, on the book of John, on the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is just that. It's having a close look at Jesus. Now it's possibly the closest look that we can get. John presents himself in his Gospel as Jesus' closest friend. And so in the Gospel of John, we actually get an intimate account of Jesus' life. And it's more than just that. It's more than just an account. It's more than just a mere retelling. It's not quite like the other Gospels. It's not like Matthew, Mark or Luke, where somewhat chronologically Jesus' life is mapped out and retold. John does something different. He's seeking to put that big picture of Jesus together. That's why John, you'll find, can be a little bit confusing to read, a little bit circular and going around in circles. But the picture that he's painting is that Jesus is huge, is absolutely huge. And I'm not talking like he needs to go on The Biggest Loser huge. I'm talking about huge in how great he is. That's the picture that he wants us to see. Through his word, he brings to life for us who Jesus is. And in doing so, reveals Jesus' godhood which is a fancier way of saying that he's God. He's revealing that Jesus is God. To help us find this out, we actually need to look at, verse, at chapter 20, 
near the end of the book. We've got to start there. And if we flick over a slide, it will come on the screen. John 20, 30 to 31. John states clearly what he has written and why he's written about Jesus for us. It says this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that is what he has written in his book, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. John wants to make it known that Jesus is the Christ. Christ meaning the anointed king, the king that was sent to save you. John says here that he could have recorded many things. John doesn't share any of Jesus' parables like the other Gospels, although he probably heard them all. John doesn't share many of Jesus' miracles. He has different ones in there, although he probably saw them all. But John puts together what he heard Jesus say and saw him do so that we can believe that he is the king. Because John says that by believing in his name, it gives us life. Ultimately, he wants you, the reader, to have life. He wants you to know this Jesus so that you'll have life. Over the course of this term, as we study the book of, the John, book of John, we're praying that God will reveal to us more deeply who Jesus is. We're going to see who Jesus is as we look at this. So as we start to do that, it's important that we actually challenge what we currently think about Jesus. When I know that I'm going to a place, I know that I've got to go off to a conference or a camp or on holiday somewhere, but I've never been there before, I often think and kind of picture what it's going to be like. I don't know if you do this, but I often I can, I can spend hours doing this, thinking, well, this, what's this place going to be like? But I find that about 99% of the time I'm wrong. And when I get there, it, it might be dumpier than what I thought it was or much nicer. But, but what I get as a picture in my head, based on just my thinking and my guessing, most of the time I'm wrong. So it's important as we study this that we challenge what we just think about Jesus, what we just guess about him so that we know what we believe is true, so we know that what we believe comes from this, not shaped by who we want Jesus to be, as we so often do, but so that we have a picture shaped by what we're informed about, by John, as he records for us this intimate account of Jesus. See, what we already believe about Jesus, it won't be totally wrong. But as we go in on our Christian life, our understanding of who Jesus is should only be getting bigger. I don't know if you're familiar with um, the Narnia series and Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, and I think in Prince Caspian, it's well done in the film if you can get it, but Lucy goes up to Aslan and she says to him, Aslan, you've got bigger. And Aslan says to her, no, you've got older. Aslan hasn't changed his size, and it's the same with Jesus. Jesus should look bigger and bigger to us. But as we grow up in our understanding of him, because he's already massive. And so as we begin the beginning of John's Gospel, chapter 1, 1 to 18, that was read for us this morning, that's where we're going to start. We're going to look at this picture that's beginning to be painted. This is considered a prologue. It's John spelling out what he's going to tell us all about 
about Jesus when he's in the narrative part of, of his gospel. But knowing that he wants us to convince us that Jesus is the Christ, he starts with this by spelling out for us who Jesus is. So if you look at the first few verses, this is the first point now. I grew up in a small town called Urala. Now, Urala is a small town on the New England Highway, which is just south of Armidale. You might have driven through it if you've been on that highway, but you can kind of blink and miss it. It's, a, it's quite a small place. My family moved here to Evans Head in 1997 and since we moved here 1997, which is about 13 or 14 years ago, Evans Head has changed dramatically and if you've lived here even longer than that, you can probably say more about how much Evans Head has changed. But when I drive through Urala, it's a completely different story. It seems like that place has not changed at all. Sometimes when we're visiting Tara's family at Manila, if Tara's asleep in the car on the way home and I'm driving, I'll often take a little detour and drive past our old house and have a look at it. And it's exactly the same as we left it. I think that might have changed the gardens a little bit, but it's just one of those little towns where nothing seems to change. Now this is part of the idea that John brings to the start of his gospel when he's telling us about Jesus. Jesus seems like a new thing. Jesus seems like a new thing, but actually he is the God that's always existed. Look at verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, from the very beginning. The other place we see this is Genesis 1. It says, In the beginning, God. And it's the exact same idea as Genesis 1. When everything began, something was already there. Genesis 1 says clearly that it's God. But John says it a little more confusingly and he says it was the word that was there. But he actually gets around to saying that this word is God. And more than that, if you jump to verse 14, we see that this word who is God gets flesh on and lives amongst us. And so hopefully the picture's fitting together that he's clearly talking about Jesus. Now we'll get to the claim that John's making that Jesus is God in a minute. But first we need to see the other things that he's saying about Jesus. See, John's saying here to us that Jesus has always existed. He didn't begin when Mary fell pregnant. Verse 2 says he was there with God at the beginning. Verse 3 says it was through him that everything was made. So Jesus himself couldn't have been made. He has always existed. And that makes him the king over creation. And just like the little sleepy town of Urala, Jesus has never changed. And it doesn't stop there. He himself is God. Verse 14 says that this this word with flesh on, this Jesus, bears all the glory of the one and only. He's not a little bit God. He is fully God. Although he has come from the Father, it doesn't make him unequal to the Father. Later, John records Jesus saying that quite plainly. Later, Jesus says, I and the Father am one. The word that became flesh was God. In verse 6 to 8, John talks about the ministry of another John, the Baptist. I think I've flipped over too many pages. Ah, that's better. Verse 3. Verse 3 that it says it was through him that everything was made. So Jesus couldn't have been made. Maybe I've put it together wrong. 
Yeah, that says 15. A good thing I put numbers on the pages. That's better. Okay, sorry about that. And finally, we need to make sense of John's calling Jesus the Word because, frankly, that's the most confusing part. As huge as it is, we can probably use, we're probably used to hearing the idea that Jesus is the Creator and the idea that Jesus is equal to the Father. But what is the whole Jesus is the Word bit about? And this is something that's confused me. Well, if you think back to Genesis 1 again, where God creates the world, we see God doing it by speaking. You see that God and God said something or other. Let there be let there be this, let there be that. And God speaks into creation, speaks things into creation. And John 1 plainly says that at the beginning the word was with God and the word was God. And in verse 3, it's called a hymn through whom everything was made. And verse 14, as I've already said, reveals the word as the one who became flesh. See, John's revealing Jesus as the means by which God made everything. If we look at Colossians 1, which could come up on the screen, it says the same thing of Jesus. It says that by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. See, Jesus is God's king over creation. And then there's one thing that it seems John means when he calls Jesus the word. And that's this, that Jesus is God's final word to the earth. That in sending Jesus, God is sending a final word to people as to how he wants people to relate to them, relate to him. God's relationship with people throughout the Old Testament isn't good. It's comparable to God being a faithful husband and his people being a cheating, adulterous wife. God the faithful one and his people cheating on him. God's guided and helped people throughout all time and people throughout all time have shunned him and ignored him. Their creator and their maker they've rejected. And so God, in Jesus, John's saying, is issuing a final word to humanity. Now, you'd expect with the way that people treated God and the way that people do treat God, that God's final word to humanity would be a word of judgment. It should be letting people have their rejection, handing them over to their rejection eternally, giving them what they want. But that's not God's final word to us. It isn't death and judgment and rejection. Have a look. It says in verse 14, The word became flesh and he was full of grace and of truth. God's final word is that Jesus has come as king, offering a new life full of grace. And that's what our next two points are about. We're up to our second point. So God is issuing through Jesus a final word, a final word to humanity. And that word is about grace, not judgment. I used to hate travelling in long car trips as a kid. I don't mind it now, but when I was really younger, I I really didn't like it. 
And when we lived at Urala, like I've already said, occasionally we'd travel to Sydney, which was about a seven-hour trip. Now, that's not too long for me now, but back then it felt like quite a long time. But there were three things about our trip from Urala to Sydney that I quite did like. Now, at McDonald's at Singleton, I think it was, it had an awesome playground, the best Macca's playground that I've ever been in. Um, I remember that. A second good thing was that as we travelled up the New England Highway, we'd go past the coal chimneys that are near um, Newcastle. I don't think they're very good for the environment, but for some reason, I was... They were at Singleton. Cool. Singleton was a great place. I might, I might move there. I don't think they'd like me on the playground. But anyway, <coughs> these chimneys, for some reason, fascinated my sister and me, and I'm sure we nagged mum and dad going, when are the chimneys coming the whole way? Now when I get to drive past the chimneys at Broadwater, they're not that impressive. But, but the thing that really would get me excited was that we'd tr- kind of travel and be arriving in... Um, Sydney around about 8 or 9 o'clock at night uh, most of the times that we'd go there and I know that as we drive on the on the freeway from Newcastle to um, Sydney that as you'd approach Sydney and it's just getting dark that Sydney would just appear as this massive glow this massive glow that you can see from such a long way away and it's light shining up and lighting up the dark sky And that's the same thing that we're getting in here. Have a look at verse 5. It says, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. See, John's comparing Jesus to this light, this light shining into the world. But he's not just a light that shines into the world to just show up how bad it is. But if you have a look there, it's actually talking about a light that's come into the world, not to just shine up the darkness, but to change the darkness into light. In verse 6 to 8, John talks about the ministry of another John, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist reveals that Jesus is a light that has come into the world. Verse 9 says that this light, who is Jesus, gives light to the lives of men, or light into the lives of people. Jesus wasn't showing up wanting to reveal the evil of our darkness, like shining a light on it and showing it for what it is. He was coming to convert the darkness into light. God's final word is that Jesus in love gives light to us who are dark. The transformation available to you in Jesus is to take you, to change you from being sinful into being holy. His final word to us is that he wants to change us, not that he wants to judge us. This is further expressed in verses 12 and 13, that God makes people his children. Jesus comes and takes away the darkness, and now it says that he gives people the right to become children of God. Now, I'm not sure what it was like for people 30 or 40 or 50 years ago, but it seems to me, even in the short time that I've been around, that people are increasingly more um, concerned about what their rights are and quite, quite certain that it's my right to do this and it's my right to do that. Now, it can be a positive thing as we see people, well, it's actually there's people have human rights and things like that, But there's a lot of cases where people are abusing that understanding that they have rights. And it seems that 
there's suing going on all the time in law courts and that kind of thing. But it would be very bold of a person with all the rights that they assume for themselves that they would have a right to be a child of God. It's not a right that we have. It's a right that we've thrown away. Romans 6.23, it says, because of our sin, the wages that we've earned for ourselves or what we're entitled to is death. That's what we have a right to. Our rights are God's judgment. But John shows us what God's final word on the issue is. God's final word is that we now have the right to become children of God. So has God gone soft on his punishment? Has God gone soft on his judgment? No, he's dished it out on Jesus instead. The cross gives us a right to become his children. That's God's final word to us. And so it becomes about belief. It's lovingly pinned on belief. If you have a look at verse 7 and verse 12, and not on our works. We need to believe what Jesus has done satisfies the punishment that we deserved. When Jesus is accepted in a person's heart, John says Jesus lovingly gives them the right to become his children. We know... John, we, we know, wrote this so that we might believe. That's what he said at the start in John chapter 20. This is why. This is what he wants, we to, why he wants us to believe. When we believe, we get forgiveness. When we believe, we're made into his children. When we believe, we're shown his grace. And that's my final point. Jesus is God showing grace to us. Verse 14 says, Jesus is God's glory in flesh, the glory of the one and only, he says. And he came from God the Father, he says, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the King of grace. Verse 16 says, from the fullness of his grace, we receive blessing after blessing. Verse 18 says, no one has seen God, but Jesus makes him known to us. It's an act of grace. It says in verse 17 that Moses gives us rules, but Jesus gives us grace. Grace is when we get the opposite of what we deserve. We deserve God's anger. We deserve Moses' rules to shine up the evil in our lives, to prove that we are dark people, that, that when we're guilty of rejecting God. But God in his grace, instead of just shining up that on our life, takes us and changes us. It's grace. He looks at the people who believe in him and he sees us as pure. As we dive into this Gospel of John over this term... I want you to do a few things, and I'm going to challenge myself to do a few things. I think it's worth that we test what we believe. Look at Jesus as John portrays him, so that you can be certain that you're sharing in the grace that he introduces to us. Make sure that your picture of Jesus isn't built on your own or other people's ideas of him. Make sure that it's built on what we know about him from the Bible. Make sure it's that real Jesus. Especially if you're not a Christian yet. Especially if you 
talking to someone who's not a Christian yet. Challenge them about this to test what they believe. Maybe you come along here with your family, regularly checking out church, but for the first time, or not for the first time, or maybe for the first time today, I want you to test what you believe. Think about what you believe about Jesus and make sure that it's right. If you've got people that aren't sure about things, get them along to those God classes so that they can question what they believe. And the other thing, while we dive into John's Gospel, is to seek to deepen your belief. John says it's by believing in John 20, by believing that you have life in his name. I want to challenge you to use this time to work through some doubts. It'd be worth reading John in your quiet times, reading through the whole book. Maybe you could read it a couple of times. But pray that God would show you who Jesus is. Our hope is that as a church we grow through looking more deeply into who Jesus is. But also as we look further into John's Gospel, think and pray about who you can bring along to church to hear these sermons, to hear about who Jesus is. We've had open church and that was a great day to bring people along to, but every week, all this term, every Sunday, you can bring people along and we'll be putting pieces together painting the picture that John has painted of who Jesus is. As we have John, he paints this very accurate picture of Jesus and we need to let other people to see that. He has painted the picture of Jesus so that other people, so that you and I might believe exactly who Jesus is because he wants us to have the life that Jesus gives to us. Let's pray that that would be what happens. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the chance to look at the first part of John's Gospel. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the picture that's starting to form of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that he is that king over creation. And, Lord, that as your last word, Lord, to, to people, Lord, the, the, last, the last thing that you've spoken to us, Lord, that you're full of grace and truth. Father, we just ask that you would... Help us to cling on and to believe, Lord, that we might escape your judgment. And, Lord, that what Jesus did on the cross, Lord, might be effective for us. Lord, we pray that um, non-believers would be amongst us, Lord, through this term. We pray, pray that, Lord, that we'd be bold in inviting them along. Lord, we pray that we'd be equipped to share Jesus as he truly is. Lord, I just pray for the challenge, Lord, to who we, um, Lord, to our tendency to just make up who we want Jesus to be. And, Lord, we do ask that you would shape that, Lord, as we look at this. Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves and honest with you. And, Lord, guide us by your spirit, Lord, to a deeper belief. And, Lord, to experiencing more of the life that you have on offer in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.